0: Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of the Breakpoint Podcast, starring myself, Marcus Smith, and my main man, Frankie Nicolazzi. Frankie, how are we doing today? Uh,
1: Pretty good. Uh, Marcus and I have banged out quite a few podcasts today, which I think is a pretty successful one for us. Um, Yeah, and, and we're in the middle of the Australian Open as of recording, uh, just wrapped up day one. Uh, Day two is about to start, so I'll probably watch a few matches tonight. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's always nice having the majors going on. You know, it just gives you, like, good matches to see pretty constantly every day because the first round of a major, like, is effectively, like, The third or fourth round of some of these like 500 or 250 level events, um, which I guess kind of leads into the topic that we have for this week, which is seemingly simple, but we want to try to do some beginner, you know, sort of episodes and it's how to watch a tennis match. So tennis is kind of like not the most intuitive sport in the world. Um, The scoring is stupid. Let's be let's be perfectly real, right? Like, scoring is stupid; doesn't make any sense, and uh, yeah, it can kind of be intimidating. I think to try to digest on your own without somebody like Marcus or myself um, sitting next to you explaining like everything that's going on. So yeah, we're 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 gonna kick this off with explaining the stupidest part of the game, in my opinion, which is the scoring. So, Marcus, why don't you tell us a little bit, how does the scoring of tennis work?
0: Right, so I think we should break up the scoring basically into points, games, sets, which ends up leading to a match. So, um, every game starts out at 0-0, and if you win a point, um, if you win the first point of the game, you get what's called 15. Um, And then if you win the second point of the game, you get what's called 30. Third point is 40, and then the fourth point would be you win the game. Um, so if I'm playing Frank, right, um, you know, I win the first point, I'm up 15 love. Love is called zero. Um, you don't say 15, zero, you just say the word love. We got to look up the origins of this. We should probably know this as tennis geeks, but you know, that's for another day. Um, and then if Frank wins the next point, it's 15 all. Um, and then it kind of goes back and forth. Uh, and then, so if it comes to the point where we both have 40, So, let's say I win three points, Frank wins two. So, I'm winning 40-30, and then Frank wins the next point. It is 40 all, which is also known as deuce. Um, I don't know why it's called deuce either. I think it's because the word deuce has it's like Latin for like two or something. Am I right about that?
1: Yeah, I don't know. Um, It's funny because in other languages, right, like Spanish, it's iguales, which literally just means equal. Um, So, that's definitely the origin of the word deuce somehow. Um, Another fun... Here's your fun tennis fact for this episode. The reason why it's 15, 30, uh, 40, and then game is because of the uh, f- is because of clock. Uh, a quarter of the way there is 15. Halfway there is 30. Three-fourths of the way there would be 45. And then game 60, you're done. The reason why it's 40 instead of 45 is because back in the 1800s, 45 was considered an unlucky number. It's the equivalent of 13 today. So that's why it's fi- it's 40 rather than 45.
0: Thank God for Frank, because I would have <laughs> not have known that. So yeah, no, thank you for enlightening us on that, because that, that's pretty important. Um, so if we get to the almighty deuce, Frankie and I, and uh, I win the next point, I will be what have uh, what we would call the advantage. So. Advantage Smith. Yes wee we. um, and then if I were to win that point, then it would be game so uh but if however if Frank were to win the at uh, my advantage point we'd go back to do so it's basically like a play by two situation, so whoever wins, the which is gonna be a common theme that's gonna happen
1: throughout tennis is it's always win by two um that's gonna that's gonna be a theme you're gonna see with all the scoring as we explain it
0: yeah for the most part, yeah sudden death has is slowly making its way into tennis um but not completely yet. So, yeah, um whoever would win the game gets one game, uh, and you need six of these games to win a standard set. However, if it is five all, uh, you would play to seven instead of six. So here comes the play by two, but play by two rule in again. Um, and then, if it gets to six all, we would play what's called a seven point tiebreaker. Now, the seven point tiebreak was invented, I believe, in the 70s um, to shorten the length of matches because these sets would basically go on forever with the play by two with the games. And, you know, you'd have sets ending in like 16, 14, and 2018, and crazy stuff. So, um, tiebreak is a little bit more complicated to explain, but we're gonna do it anyway for you folks. Um, it's basically whoever starts off the tiebreak serves one point, and then the next person serves the next two points, and then it goes two, 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 two. Uh, first person to win seven points wins. Again, six all, you play by two until you know whoever wins with the two.
1: Yeah, first to seven, win by two, is effectively how the tiebreak works, and the scoring is literally one zero
0: two one etc etc that we start the we stop the weird 15 30 40 stuff you still call it love though
1: yeah yeah although in tie breaks i i have heard people say one zero um like on court colloquially rather than love
0: that is actually you know what thinking about it that is true yeah i don't know it's weird people i i this is see this is why tennis does not get the fans that it deserves
1: yeah no and this is why i wanted to make this episode is because i think that the scoring is really intimidating it makes no sense and it like actually needs to be properly explained to people for them to understand it so um getting back to what marcus mentioned about the games right if a person is serving and they win that game right you win four points great that's called a hold so in tennis Specifically on the men's side, it is expected that the server wins the game. The uh, server always has the advantage because you're basically getting a free spike. Um, This is unlike sports like volleyball, for example, right? Where if you hold on your serve, that's considered like a big deal, right? So anybody that's coming from more of that
0: background, it's flipped. Um, Would you say that it's an accurate analogy to compare it to like baseball how the pitcher kind of starts off the starts off the pitch because he's the one who has complete control of the pitch and the batter might not has like basically no idea where he's going to throw what kind of spin he's going to throw at him um you know what kind of yeah, yeah. Ball he's basically yeah absolutely throw. from an american perspective that is a,
1: a great sort of way to
0: think about it right
1: and tennis players on their serves we have a variety of serves right we have kick serves we have slice serves we have flat power serves body down the tee out wide all these fancy words they're just different types of serve it's like the equivalent in baseball of a fastball versus a changeup versus a curveball versus a slider it's all the sort of same idea and what i like to do with people that play baseball that are watching tennis for the first time is i like to show them the on court view like any on court view from like youtube whatever and show them like a roger federer slice out wide just to show you the amount of movement that these guys can get on the ball and That's really why uh, the advantage lies with the server in tennis. When you are able to uh, win a game on somebody else's serve, hint, that's where the name of this podcast comes from, that's called a break. So when you have the opportunity to break someone's serve, let's say the score is 30-40, that's called break point. And that is typically considered (laughs) one of the more important, if not the most important points to win in tennis. If you can win break points, you can hold your nerve and break your opponent. It's typically going to be a sign that you're going to win the match. So, uh, which is why you'll see players like, let's say, uh, John Isner, um, Riley Opelka in today's game, that they don't really even look to win break points. Their goal is to just hold serve, all set, win six games, get to the tie break, and then just nick one point off of you in the tie break, and they can win the set which is what riley opelka does john isner did it before him gorani's venicevich before him like that's a that's a, a play style of tennis um so that kind of gives you an insight into like how a set works the scoring within the set etc the next part is now we have understand game we understand set
0: yeah well so now if going from game to set is you need so you need six games to win a set, like we just said, uh, and then you basically need two sets to win a match, unless you're playing a Grand Slam. A, a men's Grand Slam is the only place now in the, in the tennis world where we play a three out of five sets, which means you need, three, you need to win three sets. The maximum that you can play is five, um, but for most standard tournaments, men's, women's side, it's two out of three, so you need to win two winning sets the third one would be a deciding set
1: yeah so now you can sort of see why tennis is a a very physically demanding sport right um typically these sets will last i'll say on average about 40 to 45 minutes i think is pretty comfortable on the longish end you'll see a set last about an hour um if you have like hold 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 goes to a tie break that's definitely an hour long set um so for two out of three, if a match lasts three hours, that's considered like this was a very close competitive match. Um, if a two out of three set match is lasting an hour and 15 minutes, it's a blowout. If a three set match in a Grand Slam is lasting an hour and a half, yeah, even two hours really, that's pretty much a blowout. That's like comfortable win. Um, in a Grand Slam match, if it lasts over four hours, that's considered, you know, this was a grind fest. Um, so, yeah, that's sort of the breakdown, and and that sort of leads into the next topic of how to watch tennis, which is all these tournaments. There's a bunch of different tennis tournaments, right? We're talking about the Australian Open right now. We're talking about... Um, we've talked about the Grand Slams before. So what the hell is this schedule? What goes on? Because it seems like tennis is played effectively all year long, which the answer is, yes, it is. Um, and Which which is a positive and a negative. It's a positive as a viewer because your sport's always on, right? But it's a negative as a player because it's, it's pretty demanding to be a professional tennis player. So the way to break down the tournaments is in categories, right? By the amount of points that you can win, um, which is also effectively the prize money as well, um, by winning the tournament. So the Grand Slams are the four most important tournaments in all of tennis. You can win the most amount of points for your ranking from them, and they also have the highest prize money, right? So that is the Australian Open, which is in January, the French Open, which is typically from late May to early June, Wimbledon, which is late June, early July, and the U.S. Open, which is late August through early September, Um what else, what else makes those tournaments very special, and a few select others, is that A, it is two weeks long, and B, the men and women play at the same time, um, which does not happen at other tennis tournaments very often. It does happen occasionally, not the two weeks, but the men and women playing at the same time at what are called Masters 1000 events now. Um, so these will be tournaments that have a little 1000. You'll see they're, the logos in gold. Those are considered the premier events on the ATP tour. So, an example of a Masters 1000 event would be Indian Wells, um, Miami uh, down in Florida, Madrid, Monte Carlo, Rome. Uh, those that's part of the, the big clay court swing. Um, these are all considered, uh, you know, just a tier below the Grand Slams. They award you uh, the name. 1,000 points if you win them, which is very high, obviously. And there's usually a pretty healthy amount of prize money associated with them as well. Um, below that are ATP 500 level events and 250 events. And those uh, tiers that we've just talked about, the top four tiers of tournaments, that comprises the ATP Tour. Those are like the pure like MLB equivalent right of... Uh, tennis
0: yeah um and so you know going from from where frank just left off with the atp tour so the level that's just below uh the atp tour which in a american comparison would be AAA minor league baseball is the atp challenger tour um and within the challenger tour i would say anywhere rank, players ranked anywhere basically between like 100 and 300 really compete in this tour pretty regularly um sometimes they kind of jump in and out of the atp tour it's kind of like an mlb player you know getting called in and out of the minors um by their respective team essentially a lot of people also use it
1: as a way to rehab from injury um they'll go play a few challenger events even if they're a big time player like they can clean up at the challenger events but it's more so just to get the match play experience again and you know uh get a few points in the in the bank
0: Yep. Yeah. Basically same principle as a, you know, injured, good ball player who needs to, you know, kind of like get a swing back or, you know, get used to playing and pitching again, you know, kind of toss him in the triple A's and, um, you know, send him back up to the majors at some point. So, uh, and then below that, which is the lowest level of professional tennis is the ITF uh, futures tour. This is essentially the single a, uh, baseball comparison or the, you know, minor leagues of basketball and whatnot. Um, yeah this is where basically no almost little to no money is earned um these are the tournaments that i used to play in i used to play in the qualifying of these events Uh they're still extremely difficult and there are a lot of there's a lot of good talent out there um and they're generally held uh 52 weeks out of the year um some places actually like i was telling frank about this there's a club in turkey that holds 50 of these events in a row so if you wanted to you can do like a four-week block of tournaments you know just travel to wherever spot and they make it they try to make it as convenient as possible because the prize money is extremely low um nowadays a winner of a futures tournament makes maybe like two two and a half grand for winning the thing i used to, when i play, was playing futures back in the day in like college i would win a doubles match and make like 25 euros which is like maybe 30 40 bucks um didn't really pay for much but you know that's just kind of the grind of the whole atp tennis tour that we're definitely going to do a pod and uh Review, um, but yeah, so that, that's just kind of the main you know structure of the of the tennis world. Um, Frank, we're going to talk about like how these tournaments are structured in terms of how big they are. So obviously, the Grand Slams are the foremost important. They also generally have the largest draws. They have draws of 128, which means that there are 128 participants. Meaning, um, essentially, you need to win seven matches to win the tournament. Now, at the Masters level, they're usually anywhere between 96 and 48 at the master's level, uh, and then the lower you go, the smaller the draw gets. Depends, sometimes they do it bigger, but it really, you never see anything you never ever see anything more than 128, uh, and you never really see anything less than maybe 24 participants in a main draw of like a smaller futures and you know, maybe like an indoor futures where they don't have court availability or something. But um, basically, that's how many rounds you need to win. Uh, and as far as the seeds, Frank. The seeds come from the, you know, standard ranking list. Uh, there's one ranking list for all the pros in the world. that goes from like one to, you know, I think about two or three thousand. Um, there's only one tournament that I can think of that doesn't seed specifically based off of this, and that is Wimbledon. They have a heritage of kind of seeding the way they want to, but um, yeah, they don't really do that anymore.
1: Now, effectively, Wimbledon just uses the ATP rankings. There were cases where they didn't, but it, that was, like, more on the top end of the draw of, like, oh, Roger is, like, nine in the world. Roger, meaning Roger Federer, is, like, nine in the world. But uh, he's won this thing seven times, so we're going to put him in the top four because, um, you know, we think he's got a pretty good shot. But, uh, but yeah, I think that's a that's a good uh, overview. Uh, another thing that I would add sort of about the ITFs is that there's where a lot of young players, similar to baseball, the single-A level, that's where a lot of young players are developing. So another thing that distinguishes tennis um, from a lot of, you know, what you might expect in American sports is it's not very common at this point. There are exceptions, but it's not very common at this point to go to college for tennis and then play professional tennis. Um, like that's not something that is done very often, um, especially on the high end of tennis. That's really not something that's done very often. That's a whole topic that we're going to discuss one day, but. Um, you know, it's definitely becoming more popular, though. It is. It is. I've actually seen a lot more examples of it. The prime example being uh, Cam Norrie, who played at Texas A&M. Uh, or no, TCU. 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 Yep. Um, Cam Nori played at TCU. Arthur Rinderneck played at... He played at Texas A&M. Yeah, that's what mm-hmm. I was thinking of. It. That was at A&M. Uh, Marcus Giron played for UCLA. Um, yeah, so, so these guys... Uh, did the college swing and, and are trying their hands at the pros, and, you know, in Cam Norrie's case, and, and Rinderneck too, um, have been pretty successful. So, uh, you know, that's good, and hopefully that's something that maybe develops again because I think that's probably just healthier for the overall game. Um, but, yeah, so the next part that I'll get into a little bit is where to watch, right? So all majors... Um, are effectively available on ESPN. I think they're on ESPN Plus actually now, um, which is pretty pretty easy to, to uh, view uh, here in the United States.
0: In Europe, everything is through Eurosport, I think, with the Grand Slams. I think the French Open is only available via NBC still. I think they still are, they only have the rights. Am I right about that? No, they have it on the weekends. After 12 o'clock, NBC
1: hosts the rights to the... Uh, to the french open um additionally like some of the majors like during really off peak hours it'll be on tennis channel um which is another like tennis channel hosts uh, for all the tournaments that are not uh majors tennis channel is pretty much going to be the one hosting them there'll be some exceptions like i think espn does um indian wells for at least some of the rounds But for the most part, it's going to be Tennis Channel. Um, Also, there is Tennis TV, which is the streaming service that the ATP Tour hosts, which uh, Marcus just told me was $120 for the year, which is actually a pretty good deal. And you get every single tennis tournament um, on the planet for the year, which is pretty, pretty fantastic, in my opinion. You only don't get the Grand Slams, which you probably get through ESPN anyway. So not really a bad result there. Um however the way that I personally am able to keep up with the tour because I just do not have the time to watch all of these matches is YouTube Tennis TV is fantastic. Um they post highlights of every tournament, every round. Um for Grand Slams, the majors themselves run the highlights. Um Australian Open, they're fantastic. They host they post extended highlights that are seven and a half minutes of each match, if you want, which is amazing. Um, And really gives you sort of a good overview of the match, how it went, and like key points. Um, There are some majors, uh, like the US Open, um, and Roland Garros, too, is another bad one, that will only post like three minute long highlight clips of like a five hour match, which is effectively useless. Boo. Uh, Yeah, Boo is right. So uh, those aren't really the best, but you know, uh, hopefully Australia takes the precedent here and everybody kind of just follows along which would be super helpful if they were able to do that um, because I think that's going to help with tennis viewing because tennis is is an international sport. Um, So these guys are playing in Australia right now, which effectively means Marcus and I can't watch anything because it's like 14, 16 hours ahead. So they're playing all throughout the night. Uh, The last thing that I think we want to get into because we're actually going to make this part of a series of, you know, if you're new to tennis, How do you watch it? How do you understand it? Like basic beginner stuff. Um, Because we've noticed that a lot of you guys are beginners or you are not like super used to listening to tennis and you've maybe only gotten used to it uh, or heard of it because of the Novak Djokovic scandals that have been going on. But, um, you know, the next thing that we're going to talk about is just really basic stuff. When you're watching tennis, what should you be looking for uh, with the players that are playing? Like what are some things that you and I as tennis players look at Um, that we find compelling and interesting.
0: Yeah, um, again, this could be a whole other episode, and it will be, but the one thing that we really look out for uh, is kind of like the tactics, Um, and to do that, you need to watch a lot of tennis to understand what's kind of going on out there, the way people are hitting the ball, where they're hitting the ball, at what time they're hitting the ball, at what point of the match they kind of go away from their tendencies, towards their tendencies. Um, It's a lot of analysis, um, but it's kind of like I would compare it to a pitcher in baseball, you know, Maybe in the beginning of the game, he'll be throwing pitches that he normally never throws or is kind of experimenting a little bit, feeling good. But when it comes to like crunch time, you know, seventh, eighth inning and, you know, it's getting tight, you know, a couple people on base, he might have like three go-to pitches that he's going to go to. And that would be similar for a tennis player. Um, And and there are a lot of things that also take effect into a tennis match, such as the emotions. Um, I believe that's like in any sport, really. Um, the surface, which is being played on, there's, uh, the main surfaces on the ATP tour are hard court, uh, grass and clay court. Um, they all play extremely differently. Um, grass courts are generally slicker. Uh, there's a lot less good footing on it. Um, it ba- very low bouncing. It kind of supports people who like to play fast to have big serves. A uh, clay court is a complete opposite of this. It is a, uh, basically made of crushed bricks and it, you can slide on it. Uh, think of it as, they call it dirt. They, you know, coined it dirt here. Um, it's very slow. It really supports players who play with a lot of topspin. The ball bounces very high. Um, drop shots are extremely effective on clay court because the ball basically digs into the clay and dies in. Um, it's a, it's the most physically demanding surface out of any surface on in, in the tennis world. And then the kind of the neutral one between these is the hard court, which is essentially... Um, it's essentially a form of concrete. Um, basically, if you go to any tennis park here in Queens or anywhere else in the world, really. So, uh, but for the professional tournaments, they make like cushioned hard courts, so these guys aren't playing on you know concrete, so that their knees aren't torn up. Um, it's effectively
1: concrete, so that the way that the, you make a hard court faster or slower is the amount of sand, i.e., cushioning that you put into the hard court. The more sand you put in, the slower it's going to play. The less sand you put in. Um, the faster that the hard court would uh, play. So, yeah, the last, actually, I I just thought of something while Marcus was saying what was supposed to be our last thing here. The last thing I want to go over are just some of the basic stats, right? At the end of the set, they post those stats, and, like, that can be really confusing. Um, The main two are winners and unforced errors. A winner is when player A hits the ball past player B or i.e. bounces twice, the ball bounces twice on the other side of the net, and player B does not touch the ball. That is a winner. Um, An unforced error is when, let's say, player A and player B are rallying back and forth, and just on a normal ball, player A misses. He hits the ball into the net, hits the ball out of the court lines. That is an unforced error. If player A were on the run or it was a difficult shot, that's not considered an unforced error. That's just a regular error. They don't generally show that because that's just considered a good shot. Um, You could also get an error technically when player A hits a ball uh, down the line and player B just kind of sticks his racket out and barely, quote unquote, foul tips it. Um, That would mean that the ball is no longer an error because player A got a racket on it um, and it would just be a regular error. Uh, instead. Aces are when a player hits a serve and the ball does not come back. Uh, it bounces against the wall, bounces twice, whatever. That's an ace. A double fault is in tennis. You have two opportunities to hit your serve into the court. Um, if you miss both times, that is a double fault. Your first serve percentage is another big one. Kind of confusing to be honest, first serve percentage. Um, but first serve percentage that they show you effectively means how many points on your first serve um are you able to win what percent
0: well that depends so uh, when they show they show there's first serve percentage and this first serve percent one uh, points one so first i've per- seen it been be displayed both ways which is why i said this one is kind of confusing interesting i always saw it separately but that could that could very well be honestly. So first serve purely first serve percentage is when, you know, how many percent of your four serves you actually make, which is like your field goal percentage if you're thinking basketball. Um and then first serve percent, you know, points 1 is how many points you actually win when you do make your first serve. And generally the higher that number is, the more successful you will be. Um, and also that's a very key stat for ten- if you're going to if you're, there's a couple stats you're going to look for while you're watching tennis, that is for the second serve points 1 because the second serve is considered a weaker serve, because if you miss the second serve, you will double fault, which means you lose the point, um, and you give your opponent a massive advantage. Uh, so generally, second serves are like, you know, it's like your 3-0 pitch. You just want to throw a fastball right down the middle type thing. You don't want to really want to risk it. You just want to get the point started, and whoever can win more of those points, a la, you know, Djokovic, Federer, and all have been the best at second serve percent, you know, points won they will most likely win the match a lot of time because you're giving your opponent very little chance to actually break your serve like we alluded to before.
1: Yep. So the statistics that are the equivalent of like war in baseball, like the advanced sabermetric stats that, you know, for the level of statistics that are in tennis, um, are second serve percent points one. Uh, Your break percentage, i.e. how many times, what is the percent that you get broken on your serve? Right? So the best players in the world technically have the lowest break percentage in theory. And compare that to the amount of times that you are able to break somebody else. The best players in the world will have a very high break percentage. Um, so yeah, I think that's a good place to stop before we get too deep into the weeds here. Um, we will continue this series and explain more about like tactics and play styles because i think that that would be something that's probably really interesting uh to take a look at whether you're a beginner or more advanced player
0: yeah and you know for that episode i think frank and i are basically going to do uh we'll do like a video analysis actually of a match um we'll take a match and we'll just kind of point out while podcasting kind of how players play and what's going on in a match i think it'd be really good for our viewers right
1: yeah i think that's totally something we could do um we could also do like a live stream sort of like commentate along um i think that's that's another fun one it's we want to do it for australia but it's just so hard with the time change it just might not be worth it because like how many people are going to log in at four o'clock in the morning to
0: watch you know the men's final or something like that yeah for the final might be tough but we'll do a seven o'clock match so um yeah you know thanks guys for uh you know joining us today give us a follow as usual Breakpoint Podcast 7 on instagram email us uh, breakpointpodcast7 at gmail.com Give us a like, give us a follow, give us a shout on the gram. Um, leave any sort of reviews on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, positive or negative. We welcome both feedbacks. Preferably positive though, but no, no negative. No, no negative. Okay, well, I, I prefer the critical feedback, but that's all right. Um, and yeah, if you guys ever want to join the pod or have any questions about any of the topics that we discussed today, please let us know. Uh, we are we work the gram pretty often, and we love uh, you know we love the experience that we're sharing with you guys and. You know, the back and forth communication and uh, you know, we'd love to engage you guys more. So, um yeah. Uh more episodes to come and um yeah, Frank, I'm excited to see what's next.
1: I am too. And because we're posting this tomorrow, boy was I wrong about the Nasi Kokonakis over Natal. Yikes. Yeah. So Gee. we're gonna close this episode out there. Gee, and you uh emphasize that we all kinda don't know what we're doing either. Um, but thanks for listening. We'll catch you guys next time. See ya.
0: Can you go to class?